This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Uh, this is Brog Amandine. Amandine, come on back. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast focusing on the wicked smat MMORPG Lord of the Rings Online, as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of John Ronald Ruel Tolkien. This is episode 40. And I'm your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, Brag of Vilya as well, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB, MEWHQ. That's Light the Beacons Middle Earth. All right, bleh, bleh. That's Light the Beacons Middle Earth wide headquarters for those uh, viewers who may not be, uh, you know, as experienced as some of the others that have been listening for quite some time. And uh, <clears throat> if you have not been listening for quite some time or not been viewing for quite some time, you may not even be viewers yet. You may not have not mastered that technology like some of the others have uh, that have been following the podcast. You know, it'll come. Stick with it. Um, we are in the great delving in Moria, and this is an area that I have broadcast from before. A repeat performance, and there's a specific reason for it, which I will share with you a little later in the show. Uh, right now, I'm moseying my way down past the, the entrance to the Palace of Nain to Lama Doom and a certain courtyard supporting the foundations of the Dolvin View to location of the Moria Geode, which is shining brightly this evening with a little blue and purple uh, glow about it. Uh, it's one of two that can be found in the game. Who can name the other one? There is a replica, and I'm not talking about the housing item, which you can now earn from the, uh, from the Iron Garrison or Iron, Iron Guards in, in the 21st Hall. I'm talking about the second one that can be found in the Scholar's Crafting Instance in Nud Melk. Uh, Zellum Melk. And uh, there's a specific reason we're hanging out by the geode today, beyond the fact that it's an awesome location in Lotro, which I'll talk about a little bit later. In the meantime, though, we're going to get on to our second beacon. And uh, I will share with you guys this evening that uh, Bragg is a little under the weather. I think I've been spending a bit too much time in the 16th hall and uh, caught some disease bugs that are down there. So um, it has been three weeks since my last podcast. Apologies for the extended delay. Uh, I probably normally would have skipped this evening given my, uh, uh, my raw pink eyes, my gravelly throat, headaches and so forth, but given that it's been a while since I've been here, uh, I thought, uh, let's press forward, you know? You guys deserve it. You listeners out there, you know you're not listeners, um, you know, you've been sticking with me, and uh, it's only appropriate. And uh, besides, it's Labor Day weekend. It'd be great to get this out of the way before we get back to work. I had a great weekend. Hope you guys did too. Let's move on to beacon number two. 
Elenoch. First, it's time for CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So, last episode, we offended uh, the Fresh Prince of Dal Amroth, name pronouncers, LSU fans, veteran actors of a certain age, uh, Lobelia Sackville Baggins, again, Buckaroo Banzai, Mark Twain, Chris from Lotro Reporter, and lifelong Sesame Street fans, oh, and of course, Grima. And to you all, except for Grima, of course, I issue a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. So let's talk viewer comments. Last week, Bragg and Thorne wrote in. He said, Bragg, you truly are the master dwarf. Thank you for the comedy and laughs. You do it the best. I understand if you don't pick Gladden. Keep lighting the beacons, master dwarf. Gladden is not looking to be in the cards, sadly. But, as I've said before, given the few number of servers that are left, I could see sprinkling some characters across some of those others and uh, being a more frequent visitor. So hopefully that will happen at some point in the future. Uh, Bragginthorne also said he saw Mr. Holmes uh, after he read my review. Very good movie. Like you said, it's not typical Sherlock movie or, or show, but definitely worth seeing. Uh, he likes the current BBC Sherlock with Cumberbatch as well, starring uh, starring uh, Smog, of course. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. That one's top quality. I even watch Elementary sometimes myself. Um, they each have something different to offer. The old and the modern interpretations are e equally great works. Thanks for the reminder for Mr. Holmes. He's been mean to see it for a while. Best regards. Then we got also a write-in from Grima Fan, and I still can't believe that somebody took the time to create an email address for Grima Fan. With the appending new I think his fan to shut up, Grima. With the impending new crafting level, maybe you could talk about if what people could do now to prepare for it, like crafting those long week-long CD crests, etc. So that is pretty much the only thing. The only major concern that I have about the new crafting level is making sure that you have guild level rep items stored up so that you can achieve the new guild uh, master level as quickly as possible. Um, I'm given the assumption that they're going to have new crafting nor uh, or nodes in the new area and uh, perhaps even a new critical uh, crafting component uh, like the emerald shards that we're enjoying in western and eastern Gondor right now. So there's not a heck of a lot that you can do about that to prepare for it, but um, but those uh, crafting guild recipes with the week-long cooldowns, start stockpiling them up because it will be nice. Um, my only assumption, though, is that the most of the rep items, uh, most of the best recipes are going to be locked behind rep uh, for Minas Tirith. Um, and there's not much you can do about that except maybe go to your skirmish camp and stock up on uh, reputation accelerators. Uh, I think it's it's pretty pretty darn cheap for a thousand rep. Um, you can pile them up as you know as big as you want to have that extra accelerated rep, and uh, they are pretty darn cheap overall. So uh, for everyone besides someone that's a you know experienced brag who's experiencing a new zone where I want to see what what rep naturally you'd get from doing everything, just about everybody else is following rep, rep accelerators at this point. Uh, with the marks, and uh, so you can build up some marks and medallions to to buy some of those for preparation as well. Uh, Grime fan says also she should I should trick Dr. Corey Olson into using my Entish poetry in one of his classes. Thanks for the note on that. Um, I actually this was kind of fun. Uh, I submitted Entish dreams, which I read on the podcast I think two or three episodes ago. To the OneRing.net, they have a, a monthly poetry jam where they publish a subset of uh, entries that are mailed into them for that month, 
and Entus Dreams was selected for August. So if you go to theonering.net and look at the Great Hall of Poets for August 2015, uh, my voids are featured along with another great poem called Middle Earth by another author there. And uh, fans kindly wrote in with some nice feedback regarding that in the comments. So that was really neat. It's uh, nice to share something like that with people of like minds. Also heard Zinger um, chime in to say he wants uh, more Smeagol. He said, let Smeagol's vocal cords be free. Great show as always. Um, return to sing in a future episode, but uh, given uh, my dwarven vocal cord issues this week, probably not going to hear him at the end of this episode. Community Spotlight did want to know that I got a tweet just today that Middle-earth lore episode number two has come out featuring the history of Bree and uh, the the men folk that populate the areas around Bree and what their ancestry was and some of the details around the town. And of course, uh, as, as the first episode demonstrated, very well done and researched and a lot of fun. So... Um, this is I'm really looking forward to as they get into uh, additional areas. They did preview that they were going to be looking at Arid Luin in episode number three. And uh, we'll see if they get into a cadence where it's every two or three weeks or if it's going to be monthly. But uh, enjoying those. And and uh, certainly they have a lot of material uh, to explore. I'm sure they've got shows mapped out uh, over the next six months at least, I would imagine. So that's great. Take a look at that. Give it a like. Spread, it, spread the word. Um, in other community spotlight, uh, in other community spotlight, my kin voted this week on a destination uh, for our kinship's move for server transfer. And Grima, will you want to hit us with a drum roll there? Yeah, pick up, get the sticks, hit. Come on, Grima, don't you have any rhythm? And the selection is Arkenstone. My kin, the heart fire on Vilia, has elected to go to Arkenstone. It was down between Arkenstone and Landreville. And uh, Landreville had my vote initially in the kin. And the way I looked at it was this. I think every server is going to be you know, fairly packed with a lot of different varieties of, uh, of things you can do. There's going to be raiders. There's going to be PvMP. There's going to be trolls. and uh, But Landrill is the home of RP and is probably going to be the central focus of most RP. So I saw it as not as being an RP server that doesn't do those other things, but I believe it's going to be a server that does a little bit of everything, plus has RP if you're interested in doing it from here and there. So... So I was interested in Landerville, and I still may be um, still debating my strategy here on whether to split a few tunes off and perhaps do that. You know, the difficulty in that is, you know, you lose a master crafter, master master crafter in a specific profession, and all of a sudden you have to work up another one on that server um, in order to be able to provide mats to your other tunes or recipes, as the case may be. So there's some so there's some downsides there to splitting crafters off. Um, and, uh, you know, currently right now I have on Vilia a tune of each type, you know, various levels, obviously, and uh, splitting one of those off, you know, maybe when they're all maxed, I'll move one and, or, or uh, you know, level up another one on Vilia. You know, it gives me a chance to go through the content again with a new class. So still thinking that through, Vilia is very low on the list for transfers. I think we're going to be the last world. And uh, actually, there, there may be some restrictions by the time it comes to us. If some of the worlds are too full, they may... Uh, restrict our choices. So uh, I think there's still a few variables in the equation. We'll see how it shakes out. 
but I would guess that we're not going to be moving until late October-ish at this point. Um, so stay tuned. We'll see. But perhaps Arkenstone, here we come. And if you play on Arkenstone and want to send me a note, let me know uh, so I can start to populate my friends list there. That'd be great. Uh, Forums Insider this week. There was a Department of Strategery article on dev stories visited uh, by Maid of Lions, who's uh, one of the primary devs on Lotro, as well as Freelorn, the community manager, and some QA folks. And they, um, the player base was inviting them to tell stories of the old days and uh, you know regale us with um, you know some of the early days of Shadows of Angmar and other you know things that were done or you know maybe things they worked on that didn't make it into game or the reasons why decisions were made it was a very interesting thread uh, I recommend you go out and take a look at it if you have the time it did get rather long after a while so there's a lot of different topics there one of the fun things they did mention was um, there was a concept to do hidden doors within Moria uh, the hidden doors of Durin they were going to call it that would um, you know, randomly appear or be invisible unless someone had collected enough of a certain type of coin that they would uh, earn a skill for for being able to sense the doors. And when the doors would appear, they'd only be there for a short time. And if you entered them, you might be granted a random instance. Um, from what I can tell, it sounds like they took the instances that were intended for that purpose and made them into the crafting in instances that are available in the Great Delving, which is kind of cool. But uh, would have been really neat for random doors to appear in strange places all over Moria and uh, have you know the chance to luck upon them and be able to penetrate them for some kind of reward. So um, you know, obviously taking from the lore of the uh, of the doors in the west entrance of Moria um, and also the same concept they used for the hidden forge in the epic quest line uh, and the heart of fire and the doors that were discovered there during one of the epic instances. Uh, they also had some fun stories about uh, some ideas behind Karn Doom, the creation of Karn Doom, and how they used to experiment and play with it themselves uh, as it was first created as end cap content. Um, they also had plans at one point or had proposed to create PBMP challenge instances where a number of players would appear on a map, and I guess it would be kind of, you know, last one surviving wins kind of a reward of some type. Uh, but they mentioned that they were scrapped as lore-breaking, obviously, since they didn't want free, play, free people's characters fighting against other free people's characters. Um, you know, if there's only going to be one survivor left. So I always thought it would be a neat idea to have a, a limited map PvMP instance where you could do three-on-threes or one-on-ones or, or even six-on-six or raid-level uh, instances and just kind of whoever has teammates left surviving wins. But, you know, I think they've never found the right balance in the moors where 12 creeps equals 12 freeps it always seems like one side is uh, uh, more advanced than the other so maybe that's the reason they've, they've tabled that or, or maybe they didn't want to encourage trollish behavior in those kinds of instances um, <clears throat> the last thing that uh, that they noted was um, in the in the department of strategery article is a, a reference to uh, the Moria Geode, which is why I'm standing where I am now in Moria. And uh, there was an article that was linked to there by someone who had posted in the forums quite some time ago. And, you know, I think I knew some of this at some point, but I, I never realized the full extent of it. And I think it's really cool. Uh, how many players have walked by the Moria Geode and, you know, so, saw it and saw that there was maybe some Elvish runes on it, you know, on the backside away from the, uh, the glowing content and, and never really thought more of it? Well, 
There are players that uh, did a, an in-depth study of the Moria geode and um, took snapshots of it and eventually translated all the text of the dwarven ruins were on the back of it. And as they started to translate the text, the more they translated, the more they realized that the uh, that the scribblings on the back and kind of the, the little formations and jagged edges were not actually random, but uh, were meant to be a map. Um, and uh, an early map, maybe even a first age map of, or second age map of Arda, uh, which is, you know, the expanse of, of the world of Middle Earth. And uh, they translated various uh, runes on the map as showing uh, Fordwaith, which is the area of Forkel, and Enidwaith, and uh, uh, the Bay of Belfalas, and, uh, you know, Gondor, and, and so forth. Um, and and uh, even having a specific uh, little stack of markings around or that are more brightly lit around where Moria exists right now. And you can even see like uh, mountains and trees and so forth, uh, you know, crudely, crudely shown. And there is a, a compass on the map as well, northeast, south, and west, which echoes the compass, which is on the pedestal around the Moria geode, which indicates directions uh, so if you're, if you're lost in Moria and you can't figure out which way to go to get back to uh, Durin's door, um, go to the Moria Geode. That compass is accurate in-game, and uh, the map itself is very cool. And one thing I did was, uh, when I reread re this article, I went to the housing item of the Moria Geode that's in my yard uh, to verify it's there and it has all that same detail, and it does. Um, so there's translations of all the runes on, on the Geode that are out there that are in the wiki, and a couple players spent a lot of time studying it. Some of the runes were very hard to decipher. They were a little, you know, not quite clear. The rock is a little rough in the places, and uh, but they managed to do it. And uh, if you've never seen the map, go take a look at the back of the Moria Geode and, and check it out. And uh, look at the article online, and you can show shows exactly what's marked where and, and what it's supposed to mean. Uh, just another fantastic touch of detail by the devs. So. This week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game, of course. We're going to discuss the thorny issue of game life balance, time management, and ethics. We're going to all do all that really quickly. And we'll feature a top ten list of other things you should be doing instead of gaming. If there's any time remaining, we will clear phlegm repeatedly into the microphone until all our viewers have gone. And uh, as far as the viewers, table it. Let's move on to the third beacon. We are at Nardal. Nardal is the beacon of choice this week for very serious matter. Uh, no, it isn't. First, this week in gaming and other Tokyo news. Um, so over the last three weeks, I have uh, definitely been branching out and playing a, a number of different games. So I guess the bug bit me to split off from Loto and do some other things. And the primary one I've been playing over that time frame is Ori and the Blind Forest, which I've commented on previously. That was a dwarvish belt. Sorry. Um, that was disgusting. Edit that out. Grima, edit that out. Thank you. So I've been playing Ori in the Blind Forest, and uh, I would say my final review after about just about 30 hours of gameplay uh, was that uh, for the money I spent for this when it was on sale, I think I probably spent... I want to say seven or ten dollars, somewhere in that range. It was uh, it was very well worth it. Um, I hadn't played a platformer in a while, 
of this type and uh, and it's unique as a platform in certain respects as well so it had a lot of things that were intriguing for me it's a lushly animated beautiful game it's got fresh themes uh, and puzzles for a platformer um, the music is great you'll be walking around humming the tune until others start complaining to you um, the biggest problem I had with the game if there is a downside was when I was not sure what I was supposed to do next to move forward and I was wandering the map to try to find uh, you know, what should be my next focus. They do have a, some indicators at some time saying you, know, you, you should move over here and look for this entrance, and those are helpful. But when you're inside of a, you know, a temple or a ruin or inside of a, you know, a sub-area and you need to get by a certain door and it doesn't explain to you how to get by the door... You end up wandering around looking, you know, maybe I missed something, right? There's a hidden switch here or some kind of peg that I have to jump up and down on to close something. And, uh, you know, in, in those instances, you know, some of those areas are very tough to move around on. They've got some tricky puzzles that you can die on a number of times. And if you don't know exactly what you're doing, that can get frustrating, right? Because you're just moving around the map exploring, but you're, like, getting stuck in areas where you have to do things five, six, seven times to get through an area. And you're not even sure you need to get through that area. That's That can be frustrating. So there were a number of circumstances like that where I had to figure out a mechanic, and there wasn't really an indicator in the game as to what it was supposed to be. You know, eventually you get the idea, you know, some areas you need to pound on a peg, some areas you need to kill all the foes in that area in order for something to appear. Others you need to move a rock and, you know, close it down. So you, you get, you know, you fall into some patterns, which are helpful to you. But the first time you encounter some of those patterns, um, you know, no real great indicators on what you should be trying to do next. It could be frustrating moving around a challenging area in a circuit of death. Um, so a couple times I sought help from YouTube just not to waste time and get frustrated, just to find out what I should be doing um, so that I'm not, uh, you know, wandering aimlessly. You know, I've, I found that uh, I don't mind putting the time in to solve the, you know, the, to execute the solution for a game. But, uh, you know, I do find that, you know, my patience for how long I'm willing to, to mess around with something just to find it organically is starting to lessen over time since I have all these backlogs of games to play. Um, you know, I don't want to waste an hour, uh, an hour or two game session where I don't accomplish anything and move the game forward. So I do find that, you know, after a reasonable amount of time, I'm, I'm happy to go out to YouTube to check a guide just to give a, get a hint. Uh, so this game has emotional impact in the story, which is maybe one of its strengths. It has some great controls that you develop more and more over time. At the end of the game, when you have most of your ability tree filled out, you do still start to feel kind of invincible, like you can travel around the map in almost any manner and do anything, which is kind of fun. Um, the dynamic challenges that cap each area are tough, and no matter how good you get with your ability tree, uh, because... The, your ability skills almost don't matter in that in those instances you have to you can't do save in between obstacles so you have to basically run the whole gamut successfully in order to get past that section and um, you know they just require repetition over and over again until you you know I would say let's say there's 10 challenge elements and the first one you get by starting out half the time. The second one, you get by half the time, at least when you start out. And then the third one and the fourth one, you know, getting two, three, four, five of those in a row where you're only getting by half the time is difficult. 
Um, now, as you do them more and more, the early elements get easier, so you're finishing them off. You know, nine times out of ten, you're doing them correctly. But there's, it's never 100% because there's still this little random element of you know where a minor key slip could cause an issue. So doing stringing ten elements together, where you're getting past each of those obstacles without any saves and doing it all um, in concert, especially when you, it's difficult to get to eight, ten, nine, and ten to practice those. You know that can be frustrating. There's certainly sections of the game, and I heard other people talking about this too, where you know I might have done the last puzzle. I don't know. I might have died fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty times. I don't know before I finally got it. Um, but. Uh, the graphics are great, the music is great, it's engaging, and they quickly launch you back into the action, so, um, you know, it keeps it moving along. And uh, overall, I give this game, I'd say, you know, somewhere between, somewhere around an 8, maybe call it an 8.1 on my on brag scale of gamery. So, it uh, was a fun one, but I'll be looking to move forward into something different now, and uh, my, my, Dwarven, uh, my my baby dwarves have laid down the um, the gauntlet. It uh, looks like Portal is going to be my next challenge, so I'm looking forward to that, given how much I've heard about it over time. I did play some DDO this past uh, couple weeks. Um, I actually ran a couple dungeons with my level 4, rank 17 or 18 cleric, and uh, I even tried crafting. And here's my review of DDO crafting. It sucks. <laughs> so... I listened to a couple DDO podcasts where people were trying to tell you how great crafting is, but I, at least the intro where they were trying to lead me through, the, the steps I had to do, they were not intuitive. They didn't make sense to me. Um, so I know it seems like they're just adding complexity to make it more interesting for some of the folks. I guess that's okay, but... You know, I don't know what the crafting is really netting me. You know, in the end game, is it uh, is it like Lotro, where you know, unless you're crafting hundred level items with the uh, you know top essences and stuff, it's it's not worth it. So, so it's not really. There's no payback until later, and uh, you know, there's no gear help early on. I'm I'm really not sure. Uh, but it wasn't working for me. I didn't didn't uh, wasn't enjoying it. I finished I finished an item and built some kind of. Uh, <clears throat> it's almost like an essence, I guess you'd say, that you can apply to an item to give it some kind of magical quality and improve it. And uh, it was okay, but I can't see myself... Right now, I'm just not absorbed enough in that game to understand you know, what the payoff is for crafting and why I should move forward with it. So, um, uh, so I, I can't see doing it in the short term. If I do get deeper into that game at some point, maybe I'll revisit I'm still not willing to pay for DDO given the amount of time that I've spent in it, but I think at level 5 and 6 I'm starting to run into uh, a dearth of dungeons that I can run in the free-to-play mode, and I might have to consider if I want to get past that level buying it some, sort of, some form of quest pack. So I'll be looking for recommendations on that, what I should do. Uh, you know, Is there a specific area I should unlock if I want to get past level 5 or 6? Um, if you play DDO and have some recommendations, let me know. Uh, the other game I'm playing, uh, The Secret World, I delved back into and actually had maybe the lengthiest play session I've had there in a while. I even returned it to it the next day. Two days in a row I played it. It must have been really interesting. So I'm still in Kingsmith, but I'm newly focused on the story now. I've kind of got a lot of side quests out of the way and said, let me go back and focus on the main storyline and just go through it that way. I'm about halfway through the main story in Kingsmith. Uh, I sorted through all my gear and did a bunch of uh, did a bunch of upgrades actually. Um, 
I finished the first tier of the wheel ability points and made some minor build adjustments that I think should make me a little stronger. I can definitely kill some stuff that I was having difficulty with playing earlier, but I'm not really sure if if it's uh, my character getting better or the fact that they nerfed some of the early on content, which I believe was the case. So it's probably a little bit of both from what I can tell. But still thinking The Secret World is a nice change of place game and maybe my second favorite MMO right now um, that I'm playing. I also play a little bit of Marvel Heroes, um, sorted through a lot of extra gear that I had, uh, got my division to level 20. I have to say it's a little bit annoying to me the amount of duplicate gear that drops that you have to sort through after a play session. Um, you know, maybe it's the inspiration they try to give you to buy additional inventory, but uh, um, you know, whenever I'm done running around and killing stuff for an hour, you know, I go back and my, my inventory slots are all full and it's all filled with a bunch of you know gear and, and, and I was finding upgrades here and there early on, but maybe now a little less so. And uh, you have to wade through a lot of stuff uh, to, to vendor trash it. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe there's a better solution for that. But th that's the only thing that's maybe off-putting a little bit to me right now. Uh, Vision got past the Taskmaster boss and is now starting to fight the hand. So we're, we're on to ninja land, I guess. So I'll continue to monkey around with Marvel Heroes. Uh, let's get to Lotro. In Lotro, Bragg um, has completed all of his four, all of his four Kel deeds. Uh, I was hunting Angmarum in the Iron Span, and uh, I still think they got to open up that gate and uh, let you ride through and come into the East Gate of uh, of Angmar somewhere above Dunkovad. Um, was killing Dower Hands in the cave southwest of uh, Zurich Ziggel. And not Zarek Siegel. Um, Ziegelberg, I think. No, that's the axe. What is it called? Got to call this up. Can't let that lie. For Kel, Ravanian, Ford, wait, there door. For Kel. It is Ziegelgund. Ziegelberg. My cousins would kill me. The Ice Reef Mines is the place for dower hands in For Kel. And uh, also had to farm a bunch of snow leopards, mostly up and down um, a hill just southwest of Pinty Pildot. And lastly, the last uh, Slayer Deed of Forakel, Grim. Had to do 100, then plus another 200 for the Advanced Deed. And um, the problem with the Grim is that they're very sparsely populated. There's a little cluster of them as you uh, run up Nikas Hill, northeast of Ziggelgund. And uh, there's also two clusters of them, maybe four in one group and five in another group. Uh, hidden away in the caves, in the cracks that you navigate coming up from uh, the south. You know, basically the setting for the icy crevasse. So the two groups of four that you can run back and forth and, and farm. Uh, but it's certainly not convenient. It's one of those Slayer Deeds that'll take you a little more concentration, a little more effort to pick up. I did pick up some lot boxes and a lot of good rep items. As a matter of fact, I passed all my four kill rep down to my minstrel, who is now kindred there. Uh, it's a nice, nice TP. And I finished off all the treasure caches in four kill, including the one on the island in the middle of the uh, the bay. It's cool to do that and swim out to it, but uh, pretty sure that means it can't be done on level um, because. Not too many on-level tunes can survive swimming around in the Bay of Forakel. So I think that's a little bit of a design flaw. Uh, you know, it's cool that they have one out on an island. I almost wish they had like a, 
a little hidden walkway that's just under the surface of the water that you could kind of trace, you know, find the route to find out to the island uh, instead of making it difficult for on-level tunes to survive to get out there and finish that off. So I still need roving threats in Forakel. I'll have to return to do those at some point. And then it'll be on to uh, Arigion and Enidwaith. As a matter of fact, um, those are the two two zones I need. Uh, Arigion and Enidwaith to complete the deeds of Eriador. Uh, so I did finish the Protector of Eregion deed, which is uh, had, I needed Crabane up in the Pandaregion area, uh, wargs of which there are an endless supply on the Burnt Tor, and lizards and crawlers down on Ulundun, um, which used to be an island before the addition of Enidwaith, but is now just kind of the southern coast south of Mirabel. So the, dudes of, the deeds of Eriador are now complete for me. Um, there's a meta deed for that, which is for some reason sits on your uh, race and social tab. <laughs> and uh, it's also kind of funny because they must have made it before they came out with Enidwaith and Dunland. I consider Enidwaith and Dunland part of Eriador, and they're listed under the Eriador tabs, but you don't need them to complete the deeds of Eriador deed. Uh, for which you get 300 marks in a key lockbox on the race and social deed tab. Um, so, Enidwaith, I've got a, I finished off Wargs and Dunlings already, and I've got Cutthrall, Demon Goats, Gwyber, and Forest Trolls ahead, so that sounds like fun, and then, uh, Enid, and then it'll be on to Dunland. Uh, Bragg has also been keeping up with the Bingo Botham episodic content, lots of other podcasts and streams talking about that, I'm sure most of you guys have done it, it's hard to talk about it without spoilers, so I'll just say I'm continuing to enjoy, enjoy it as a little... Uh, diversion from more serious fare here and there. And speaking of fare, uh, the Farmer's Fair was live this past week, and I finished off the Tier 1 deeds for eggs, mushrooms, the Farmer Fetch errands, and I am now a Farmer's Friend, I think it's called, which means you finish Tier 1 of everything in the Farmer's Mart Fair. Um, should I go beyond Tier 1 in either... Ted Sanson's Egg Hunt or Farmer Maggot's Mushroom Munch. I think the titles for Tier 2 are Excellent and Mushroom Muncher. And as uh, intriguing as those are, I think you need 20 victories in each of the contests to get there. And I don't see that ever happening. So that's that one that might be one that's never complete. Uh, I did think the Egg Hunt had a little bit of um, had some hiccups. I heard some people saying maybe they'd experience the same thing. Uh, I was out there once as a solo, and I ran it, and I picked up every egg that was dropped, and I was getting to the end of the timer, and the only eggs that left were rotten eggs. There were there were no other good eggs left, so I even ate those, hoping something else would spawn, and I ran out of time and didn't finish complete after I'd gotten everything that had dropped, as far as I could tell. So I think there's something a little screwy with the timer, and I also ran out of time another time when I was thought I was doing pretty well. Uh, when two or three tunes were playing. So it might be a little aggressive and not always fair. Um, so I did pick up the steed from the Farmer's Fair. Uh, it was pretty nice. 140 tokens, though. Kind of expensive. And I was flipping through the cosmetics for the Farmer's Fair. They, they must have put some new things out there. And, and looking at some old ones, too, they hadn't seen in a while. There was some, some pretty nice stuff for this fair, actually, uh, from a cosmetic standpoint. So I bought a leather cape and a circlet of flowers, um, not for brag, maybe for some of my other tunes. And uh, the other thing that's widely available as prizes for the Farmer Fair are the uh, animal masks. There's, I think, chickens and pigs and 
and uh, cows and I don't know, a couple other uh, barnyard animals that you can get masks for. And I just think they're kind of weird. I know some people wear those around, maybe on Halloween or whatever, but they look a little bit like the, the animatronic uh, uh, robots from Five Nights at Freddy's to me. So I'm going to avoid them. Let me see. My Bjorning is 72. That's not right. Uh, maybe 72-ish in level. I'll have to double-check that. He's an Eastern Rohan. He um, just found Yomer's Revenge and went into the ease of Fangorn. Um, made it to Snowborn in the Epic line, but stuff is starting to get red now. So I might backtrack a little bit and do some other tests around uh, quests around Rohan, Eastern Rohan. I need to get uh, rep in most of the factions anyway if I plan on doing Hip Bold on this tune, which is the current plan anyway. Uh, maybe I'll do some skirmishes too, mix things up a little bit. We'll see. My Minstrel has now kindred with the loss off. Hey, 20 temperature burn points, I'll take it. Um, she has finished all of the DA rep areas and deeds and traded in most of her tokens for Amphalas Scrolls of Empowerment and will probably be off to Eastern Gondor shortly. Um, I have to say, she's feeling like quite a little DPS machine of late. And I don't even have an imbued book yet because um, I still need a couple more crystals to put in it before I imbue it. At least I'd prefer to. But uh, she's been running DA training exercises and uh, in the armory she pulled... Uh, all four looters and the boss at the end of the armory quest and survived to tell the tale. Had to blow a lot of cooldowns to get through, but this is five pretty heavy-duty elite mobs pounding on her and uh, was able to, you know, each with maybe 40k morale. And uh, she was able to survive that without having to do a flop or anything. So, so pretty cool. Uh, she's feeling, Minnie's uh, feeling like a pretty powerful DPS machine right now. Uh, my lore master has been uh, my next tune of focus in Eastern Gondor, and uh, let me see what area. So um, I need to work on that map. <laughs> the map of Gondor. I don't know. Maybe there's a. It says Mordor, Western Gondor, and nothing else on it. So I think. There we get down to the detail level. It's a little better. She uh, finished off Imleth Melui. Uh, powered her way, powered his way around Harland, uh, made it over into um, into Bar Nern up in the south of Thillion and uh, into Osgiliath proper, and has found the culverts there, and uh, has found two rangers out of four in Osgiliath. So um, it's been doing pretty well. You know, I've heard some people tell me their softer tunes have been having trouble in Eastern Gondor, especially the heavily populated areas, but. The town of Harland, which is the one, the first one you go to that borders the gate around uh, Minas Tirith, is very tightly packed with mobs. And I was able to get all the way through there with, with no deaths and finish off all the quests in that area. I do say I have, I'm a little more careful than I am with my guard where I, where I run in and scoop up every mob I can find and burn them all down at once. But, but uh, you know, either running in DPS mode or in uh, blue line pet mode, uh, not a problem in that area. And uh, also, when I went into a group, uh, LM is one of the one of the classes that I bought the third skill tab for so that I could flip to yellow line for grouping. Um, and uh, that seems to work really well. It expands your frost lore and fire lore targets 
and, and um, has a number of other buff and debuff advantages which make it better for grouping. So I, I think most of the time when you're in a group as an LM, unless they're just expecting straight DPS, you know, if it's a challenging instance, they might expect you in a larger group, they might expect you to be in yellow line. So I just want to be, be prepared and run it now and then so I'm, I'm ready to use it in case I need to. Uh, my Berg has been doing some, uh, some DA training runs as well. She got herself into a, I think she was in the Great Hall, she got herself into a bad pull and had three groups attacking her simultaneously, three groups of three. Uh, so nine mobs. And I was going to hips immediately. I said this is a no-win situation. But I decided to see if maybe I could kill one or two before I, uh, before I did hips so that it would be easier when I returned to the area to finish off the other groups. Um, so I was in... What was the line I was in? I think I was in I'm the Gambler line. So there's there's no real self-heal without Mission of Glee in the Gambler line. But your traits do provide a heal in the Gambler line for every evade that you make. So every time you evade an attack, you get a little heal. And if you hit touch and go with a large group of mobs, touch and go is the one that uh, raises your evasion rate to either 50 or 75% for maybe 10 to 15 seconds. And uh, so all of a sudden you've got nine mobs pounding on you and uh, most of them are missing because you've got touch and go on and all of a sudden I was healed up to full the whole time so I'm, I'm fighting a group of nine mobs and I'm not losing any uh, any morale whatsoever so I just I just said let me see how far I can get here let me see if I can burn a few of these guys down um, you know I started to lose morale pretty quickly when touch and go wore off but I hit ready and able again so I could Pound it, you know, right off the bat again. Throw dust in the eyes out to everybody. Get the gambles out there, knives out, etc. Burn every cooldown, and I actually won the fight. <laughs> uh, I did not think I could take down nine nine mobs in an instance uh, with a single target DPS class like a burglar, but uh, I got through that fight. So I, I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, just goes to show when you have a good burglar and they know what they're doing. Uh, what they're capable of, and that's why they're so feared in the Moors, I think. So, Hunter and RK have not been doing anything. I did log on my Warden briefly, who's level 31 now. Gained a level, and um, I handed him down a necklace, which had uh, two virtue, I think loyalty, two, you know, three virtue from the necklace, but I hadn't earned loyalty yet. So I noticed I only needed four quests in Breland to get uh, two, two virtues of loyalty, so I finished four quests in Breland, and I earned uh, two quests of loyalty. I put the necklace on, so I went from having you know zero loyalty to five just by finishing four quests, which was a nice little bump. Uh, Champ has not been doing anything. I sankled through my other tunes to clear out their mail and etc. And that's about week. That's about my three weeks in Lotro, and obviously I built up a lot of stuff. So I uh, hope I did not linger too long there. But let's move on to the next beacon. Wow, this is looking like a long podcast. I can talk. Even sick, I can talk. All right. So here's a bit more serious uh, topic for Everlast. Uh, I was listening to the Burton and Scrooge podcast this week, and if you don't listen to it, you should, uh, where they had a subject matter talking about health issues and balance in gaming uh, while maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And uh, also on Beyond Boss Feats this last week, again, listen, um, had a great conversation with Draculetta and Braxwolf about how does game, gaming impact you in real life? And they were touching on both 
positive and negative aspects of uh, gaming's impact in real life. And um, you know, I think uh, it's you know it's not surprising to me that other gamers and podcasters are focusing on these issues because I think they're widespread in the community. But um, as I was reflecting on it, there were a few scenarios they didn't touch on that I thought I might mention and add to the uh, add to the dialogue. So here's the first one. Uh, and there's several here that I'll go through. The first one is the instance or raid that would not end. So um, when you're looking at uh, a group that someone's calling out for, say it's something you've wanted to run for a long time, uh, and you finally have the chance, and um, you thought you had enough time to run this instance before you had to do something else in real life, uh, but then for some reason, one reason or another, it took about 30 minutes to get the instance started. You know, you couldn't find a tank, uh, someone dropped, uh, someone had to get a snack, someone went out for a smoke break, someone got a, a knock on the door, uh, you know, someone was finishing up an instance with another group before they joined, whatever reason, it happens all the time. Uh, so it took maybe 30 minutes to start that you weren't banking on. And then during the instance, two people went link dead once or twice, you lost five minutes in each case. Or you failed on the last boss, maybe once, maybe repeatedly. Had to run through the instance multiple times, uh, change your strategy, reorganize, rebuff, and run the boss fight again. Real-life aggro can happen in these circumstances. Sometimes your family needs your help now, or your friends need your help now, or whatever. And their lack of understanding about you playing a game and not being, help, being able to help them can be understandable. So if it was just impacting me, if I was just playing Ori in the Blind Forest and I really needed to do something else, it's a lot easier to just close the lid. I'll get back to this later. I have a safe point. Not hurting anyone. Not hurting myself. Um, well, unless it was a really long epic quest instance that I didn't want to do over again, but I think that goes without saying. Uh, but in a group, uh, such as you find in an MMO, you have other people that are relying on you, and in a really long fight, where if you fail, others might run out of time or quit, you can be leaving a really big group of people up a creek with the prospect that hours of their time invested in an instance or raid amounted to nothing. Uh, and that's some um, PO'd peeps. Plus, no loot for you. Here's another scenario. Tell me if you run into this one. You're at work. And let's say you work from home, or you have a, a private work set setting, but you're logged into the game. Come on, more of you out there have done it than you care to admit. So here's where I've done it. <coughs> Excuse me. Crafting, right? Here's an excuse. I've got two laptops. I can put one up to the side, and I can reach over and process a stack of mats, you know, let it run for 15, 20 minutes while I'm working. That doesn't hurt anybody, right? Um, what about a class deed repeat? If you've uh, leveled a burglar, you know that you have to do hide in plain sight a couple hundred times, and there's a cooldown of 5, 10, 15 minutes in between each one. So it's one of those things where if you're watching TV or if you're doing something else, you can reach over, press the button, and work on your class deed. Uh, but what if you do that while you're at work, right? It's not that distracting. Every couple minutes, you reach over, touch a key. Uh, pickpocket deed is another one for the burglar that takes a long time and uh, you just need to click on something every couple minutes and see what happens. Um, slayer deeds. You know, maybe you're in an area where 
to fight something, all you have to do is click on it, and it'll come over and you'll kill it eventually through auto attack. So you can work on a Slayer Deed just by reaching over and clicking a key every 60 seconds or so while you're doing something else. Uh, maybe a festival with a repeatable content where you're opening the chest in Bilbo's haunted burrow. Or once an hour you want to run a keg or a hobbit race, etc. However, where are you drawing the line when you're doing that? And you need to have a line, or it's a slippery slope. Suddenly you're doing rep delis, or perhaps running all five wings of the Tower of Orthanc. Anyone that works from home needs to be professional enough to find that balance. But everyone takes a break from work. It's mentally healthy to do that. And if I'm an employer, what you do at that break time at the end of the day, I don't care. Uh, but I need you focused and on task when you're on the clock, or eventually I'll know it. Uh, as an employer you know that has staff that reports to him occasionally, I can tell people that are mentally clocked out. You can't fool someone for that long. Also, at the end of the day, more importantly, you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. Integrity is perhaps the most important quality you can have as an employee, or even more so as a person. And knowing you were goofing off when you should not have been should bother you. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with you as a person. Or perhaps you're chaotic evil. Or maybe you don't care about your job. One of those things could be true. Uh, so for some, it might be a sign that they should be looking for a new job that's more personally engaging, where they don't feel the need to go and do things on the side while they're at work. Here's scenario number three. It's a bit less cut and dry and a little more insidious. You've been playing a game for an hour or two after a long day's work, and you wander downstairs to grab a drink or something to eat, and you see a son or a daughter or a friend or roommate staring at a computer screen, watching YouTube or Netflix, or even playing their own game. Maybe that's okay. You know, maybe they just finished their homework and they need a break and, you know, it's the hour of screen time you allow them to, for that day. But maybe they would have stopped to go outside and have a catch or shoot some hoops if you had initiated it first. Instead, you get these silos of people pocketed around the house, all doing their own thing. When I was growing up, and let me put my big dwarven grandpa pants on, pull them up over my belly button, kids played outside all day. Till bedtime. Um, but that's not the generation we're in. So only you can judge if your family has balance and what you can or should do about it. But I know more families that are struggling with this than not, um, than feel like they have the right balance right now. When I talk to friends, and I feel like this is really the first generation where this has been such a broad issue. Um, and we're still working on strategies to combat it. All right, scenario number four. It's one I've not experienced in quite some time. You live by yourself, or you're in college, or perhaps even out of work, and you play games 8, 10, 12, 16 hours a day. Who knows? Because there's no one to stop you. No conscience, no nagging, no parents, or referees of any sort. You dictate your own schedule and you don't answer to anyone, and this is perhaps the most dangerous situation of all, when it gets out of control. <laughs> See the next guy in the MMO next to you with all the uber gear on, which, you know, he's got every tune at max level? Um, you know what you're thinking. I'm jealous. Now, besides that, you're thinking how sad it is, how much he had to play to get all that stuff, or how much he paid out of his daddy's trust fund to buy it all. Is he really better than me because he's got all that stuff? Eh, maybe he is and maybe he isn't. But stop the judgment calls and mind your own shop. Everyone needs to answer to the dwarf in the mirror here. 
at the end of the day. I think I feel a song parody coming on. Okay, so here's some rules and guidelines that, in my experience, can help. Never assume the best-case scenario when calculating whether you have time to get a forges run in before little Johnny has to go to practice. Uh, being late to stuff all the time makes people frustrated and grumpy, which is bad for family dynamics. Set specific windows for playtime if you can. If everyone knows that Friday night is red night, raid night between 10 and 1 a.m., then there's no argument when you play for those three hours. I've never been that fortunate to have a set raid window, unfortunately. I think that would be uh, nice. So I have to find my own pug hours when I can, typically. If you work from home and find that you can't draw a clear line uh, logging in during work hours and what, what is or is not actually distracting for you to do on the side when you should be working, then don't log in at all. Stop kidding yourself. If you're self-employed in school or job hunting, set a specific time after which you are allowed to play and stick to it, or make it a clear reward for completing your work or meeting a major milestone. Uh, lastly, be honest with yourself about your gaming life balance and take sabbaticals or breaks now and again. They can do wonders. I promise you the game world will still be there when you get back. Er, well, unless you're on Villiers or Duaro Delph or Rittermark or, well, forget it. You, you know what I mean. Enough of these serious matters. We're at Minrimon. Now the original word from our sponsors segment. This week, Light the Beacons is brought to you once again by one of our oldest sponsors, Thornley's Construction Company. We work faster than a drunk hobbit with a broken leg running through a Carndoom leech puddle. Thornley's Construction Company. When you want it done right, but not necessarily right now. Serving the northern Breefield community endlessly for over eight years. The sixth beacon of Kalanhad. For Kalanhad this week, we have the top thing, top ten things you did in game when you should have been doing something else. The top ten things you did in game when you should have been doing something else. Number ten: cut off Mazog's head in the Battle in the Tower skirmish, missing your appointment to cut off something else for your day job as a moil at Little Levi Tannenbaum's Briss. Number nine: completed your Trollshaw Salamander Slayer deed, earning valor. Instead of mowing Sally Mandrell's lawn, earning cash. Number eight. Finished much running, much drinking festival event to earn the heave emote. Instead of going to the Sigma Phi Epsilon keg bash to earn the heave emote. Number seven. Visited Elrond in the library instead of taking your overdue books back to the library. Number six. Studied the boss strat for the mega troll and the lightning wing of the Tower of Orthanc instead of studying for your electrical engineering midterm. Number five, picked up a sweet new first age gold earring in a retaking Peller gear run instead of picking up your son from his football practice in a I was supposed to drive the kids home run. Number four, put on a new piece of DA essence gear after finishing the daily training exercises while simultaneously putting on five more pounds after skipping your real life daily training exercises. Number three, attended ales and tales instead of bailing your uncles from jail. Number two, emerge from the mines of Moria to fair Lothlorien instead of taking your dirty grunties to do some laundering. Number one, attending ten straight hours of Weatherstock instead of doing literally anything else. Ah, the sound of that beacon of flame means that we're at Hal Halifirian. 
It's time for Blessed Relief that brings us to the end of the 40th episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. It's Brag with two A's. The second A stands for Arda. On Facebook or Twitter at Bragsonofbalan or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perhaps a chance you are so inclined it would very much appreciate it. You know, web statistics are a, a more of an art than a science, but I think I have a couple hundred listeners, and um, I've got maybe eight or nine iTunes reviews. So that's let me do the math. It's like that's like fifty percent. So the other half of you should put one out there. Uh, if your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast, or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective, and hope. Hopefully, most of all, you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin. <coughs> a little sickly, but signing off. Brukazan, and remember, the next time it's late and you're sick, you don't have a closing catchphrase, don't despair. Just light the beacons.